moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. And now the conclusion of the Cascading Leadership Season 1 Recap Show. And we did a couple of episodes that actually will have some impact going into Season 2, where we're focusing on sales and marketing effectiveness with Steve Watt and and Andy Culligan. So those were one-on-one episodes designed to help people get more effective in specific areas of organizational effectiveness. If you start from understanding how hard it is to buy and you start from that position of understanding the stakes for them, then you're able to position yourself and your firm in a different way, to stand out, to stand above your competitors who likely are lacking that empathy and are, again, as I said before, running the old playbooks and starting with the old mindsets. Why is it so hard to buy in B2B? We talked about high stakes, obviously. We've already covered that. Also though, decisions are complex, right? Nobody is buying B2B solutions on their own. We all know that. But again, most sellers and most sales leaders come at it from their own perspective. They say, yeah, there's a large buying group. There's a lot of stakeholders. So here's what it means. What I challenge you to say is, what does that mean for your buyer? It means that they have to run a lot of internal conversations, a lot. They have to expend a lot of internal political capital, reputation capital, even to bring the buying committee together. Never mind to make a decision. Never mind yet again to make a decision for you. They have a lot that is going on behind the scenes. And trust looms really large here. And this is, I think, this is where we start to move into what can I do about it as a seller, is I really need to focus on how I build trust. First step is always understanding if the SDRs know what marketing actually do. So SDRs are like the kindergarten of the organization. So they they are typically entry-level people that haven't had a huge amount of experience in the working world yet. That means that they haven't had any marketing experience or any exposure to marketing teams to understand the value of actually what they can get from the marketing team, okay? This also goes for things like lead generation. Like an SDR might not even know what lead generation means. What I typically do is when I work together with an SDR or a team of SDRs that are quite green, What I do is I run a session. Marketing 101 is basically just entry level, bringing you through all of the different acronyms and all of the different bits and pieces in which marketing does, mostly focusing on the lead gen slash demand gen side of things, helping them understand the funnel. So first of all, bring them through. What does marketing actually do? And what does marketing actually mean? What's lead gen? What are the differences between lead gen and demand gen, for example? What are all of the different bits and pieces that we're working on as a marketing team? So are we doing things like analyst relations? What is analyst relations? There's these companies called Forrester and Garden. They produce wave reports, marginal quadruple, and you basically just teach them. It's like a university course. And I typically do that over two or three different sessions so that they're familiar with everything that marketing is doing. Okay. And then I try to piece together. It's like, why is this important to you? Well, it's like either you can go in completely cold into accounts and try to pick up the phone and not have any, and the the, the person on the other end of the phone to not have any clue who you are, 
Or you could lean on the marketing leads that are coming in that people are relatively warm, right? Now, I'm not promising the world and saying that these people are like ready to take our money immediately. If they are, that's amazing. You've got an amazing product. But typically, most companies, when you're doing specific lead gen or, or anything like that, and you're getting SDRs to do a follow-up, it's typically somebody's downloaded an ebook, they've been to a webinar, they've met them at an event. They've done some action that requires some level of follow-up. So those were pretty interesting and fun to do. I think if you ever want to see me like fanboy in, a, in an episode, that's when Stu Hynek came on on the show and we had our first author spotlight. And that was part of his promotional effort in promoting his new book, How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed. Many years ago, I was driving down the Santa Monica Freeway in LA and it was back when traffic moved really fast. I don't know if it still does. I don't think it does actually. And six lanes of traffic going one way, six lanes going the other way and about a 40 foot wide median in the middle. It's all concrete. It's no place for a plant to, to take root. But as I was driving by, and this all just happened in a split second, but as I was driving along, I happened to notice this one dandelion growing from a crack in the concrete median. And it's just happily bouncing around. It had those kind of happy yellow flowers and the happy uh, seed pods that were blowing those happy little seeds around. It's just sitting there running its process from a crack in the concrete. And I just thought, that's so impressive. Look at what did that take for that to happen? And it it was significant that it wasn't, like it wasn't an apple tree. It wasn't a petunia. It wasn't a rose bush. Those plants couldn't cut it as a weed. They don't have what weeds have, unfair advantages. When you look at it, you you think, how on earth did that, how did that weed, how did that dandelion get there? And then you think, we know, because we see it all the time. They grow out of cracks everywhere. It got there because it has these seeds that blow around and they probe every possible opportunity to take root. So that was a lot of fun since I've read like all of his other stuff. And I actually adapt a lot of his ideas in terms of how I actually execute from a sales perspective. So that was a lot of fun. All three of those episodes were a lot of fun, but it gave us some interesting avenues to go forward as we look at season two. I think that it's the blend. And of course, I think that this is not uncommon for for a new show and a a fledging brand that some of it is also we're looking at identifying where we're going to gain some traction because we already know that the we started with this. And I don't even know if we talked about this throughout this whole show. And it is we kind of started with it was a joke to a degree. When we started saying, we want to know the origin story because we're both comic book nerds. And it's so funny, though, because as we interviewed folks, everybody got it. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, the origin story. Now, I'm not sure if that has anything to do with the Marvel brand or the DC brand being big in Hollywood these days. But I thought it was really cool that when we started sharing with them the origin brand, the origin story and that sort of thing. So making this shift, I think, was was good one because folks listened. So there was obviously, you're on to something, Jim, I think that when you, when we made the, uh, when we made the shift to do that. That brings us up to the month that just wrapped up June pride month. And we had pride month open with a phenomenal story. It's partly our fault that she didn't really play how big her story was, but we had Kat Oliver on the show and she's somebody that legit built one of the highest performing staffing organizations in her company from the ground up. And her story was phenomenal. And the stuff that stood out about the conversations that we had with her was not only does she have to navigate the client-related conversations around her sexual orientation, but she's got a, she's got a double-edged sword because she's also a woman. So you got two levels of trickiness that you have to get navigate. And she navigated those things well. And oh, by the way, 
She built a high-performing organization that recruits and hires with a diversity mindset. So that was a pretty interesting and powerful story to listen to. The recruiting industry doesn't, you don't find it, it finds you, I think is the way to think about that. So I, I ended up getting a job as a recruiter and started out there in that industry, probably 20... 2011, I think. So it's, yeah. it's been a good amount of years now. And that's kind of how I came into my role here, just moving up through the ranks. There's been a lot of challenges and there's been a lot of things to overcome. I, when I was 14 years old, actually, I came out as lesbian to my parents. And at 14, that is a, that's a really big conversation to have. And then you carry that all through high school in a small town. And then you go to Baylor and you graduate from Baylor and uh, to live authentically at Baylor in that way was for me it, it wasn't that bad but a lot of people didn't have it so well and then you carry that into a career and you carry it with you everywhere and and you realize in a way you're a minority but it, it's not in a, a visual way but there were times where you're sitting with a client or a potential client, I should say, and they start sharing with you about their family. And maybe he says something about his wife or his kids. And then you get the question of, do you have a husband? And, or do you have a boyfriend? And those are the moments that were the most difficult for me because you have to make this really fast choice in your mind of, am I going to live authentically? Or am I not, right? And there was a client that I became pretty close with. And once I was authentic with him, once I I finally corrected him and said, hey, I I don't have a boyfriend. I actually have a girlfriend. He was no longer a client. And in that moment, I realized, okay, this is not as easy to navigate as I thought that it might be. If I had some other profession that didn't involve getting to such intimate levels with people, as you're doing business with them, maybe this wouldn't be an issue. And I thought about going to law school in that moment. It was, that was really tough. But now I've realized that if someone's not going to work with me or do business with me purely because of who I am married to, then I don't want to do business with them. There's so many other people out there in the world, but I was young and yeah, that was an eye-opening moment for me. I think it was some parts of it, if I can say this, were it was disappointing to hear what her experience has been in some instances and encouraging at the same time what she's been able to accomplish. The thing that came to mind for Kat when we were listening, when I was listening to her is that I think, of course, this without maybe all of our listeners don't, is that my PhD research is around impediments to women moving into the CEO level ranks in corporate in the corporate sector, right? And what I thought about was she was someone who came to mind because despite all of these different impediments, she's someone who is who has been extremely successful and she has been able to articulate, and I think this is important, she's been able to articulate her story in a way that She's not trying to sway you to the right or to the left of any con- any part of this conversation of to be a woman in the corporate sector or to be gay in the corporate sector. She's simply just telling her story and what her impact has been. She was telling the story about having someone pressing her about whether or not she's married. Why is that your business? Right. But she, again, 
She handled it in such an eloquent way and knew that might come at a cost, but decided that she was going to be her true self and honor herself. And I thought that that was just extremely powerful. I think it's one of the reasons that she's why she is so successful at what she's doing. I think it's one of the reasons why when she was talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that she was able to see from a different lens some of the things that they needed to do different. I think she said she brought in a candidate one time and she recognized almost immediately that the candidate didn't necessarily feel like it was the right fit for them. And she almost immediately understood that. And I don't think that most people do. So that lived experience and being able to assess her own lived experience, because sometimes it's hard for us to do that. So if it sounds like a cat wasn't a fan favorite for me, I would say that, yeah, she was. I really appreciated it. And I am happy to vote that we bring her back for some other one of other panel discussions or upcoming shows, because I thought she did an excellent job. I think she's got a lot to say. I think you're dead on. And her story is freaking great. Like everybody's story is great. Hers is in its own way, one of the best ones that we've told. And that brings us to basically the more recent episodes where we had Evan Patterson, another great story about building communities as a gay individual. We had Mitch Stein, who is a tech founder, part of our Innovators and Disruptors series. And most recently, we had Jesse Ivory on some of the great things that she's done from a learning and development perspective. And that those three episodes, which you know all released in June, were phenomenal as well with some great stories. Yeah. I would say that Mitch is one of those people we were talking with him. Sometimes you do you do a self-assessment and you go, what have I been doing with my life? He just Goldman Sachs, part of his uh, part of the resume. And at a really young age, like just the sense of I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and I'm just going to do it. And that was quite impressive. And I see a world where we all, anyone in business starts to value the nonprofit experience more and recognizes the things because there's, everyone wants to tell nonprofits like, oh, you should just act more like businesses, blah, blah, blah. And that's like a problematic statement because it's First of all, you're creating a false dichotomy. Like they, a lot of them already are all businesses. So you're just like creating this otherness that doesn't need to exist. And I would say it's both directions and no one acknowledges the reverse direction. No one acknowledges that businesses should act more like nonprofits. It's both and they should center community more. They should do more design thinking. They should center stakeholders. They should have more authentic engagement with their brand. They should be more mission aligned. They should be more causal. They should center the problem they're solving for society and not pushing people to buy something because the brands that do that well and mirror good nonprofits succeed. You talk about Mitch. Evan is in that same boat because he was a 20 something guy with one of the most engaged communities uh, across multiple platforms. And he's driving that across a tech startup that's probably going to become a unicorn. So we have both Evan and Mitch at tech startups, different pathways to get into the roles that they got into. Mitch is the CEO of a tech startup, but Evan is a pretty senior leader, plus marketing and community leadership across multiple platforms in the startup environment. And those are really interesting. It's a different version of the Jim and Caesar split different paths to get to the same destination or similar destinations. I did it because it came from a place of passion and interest, but it also came from a place of 
loneliness growing up as a queer kid. And even before I knew I was gay, I still knew something was off about me, I would say back then. So making friends was very difficult to group in a very small homophobic town. And I had friends, but very few. And they had their own set of problems too. It was a little bit of island of misfit toys there. But this was the way for me to fill in that gap. When it comes to looking at communities, I see two versions of myself. I see myself as like the community builder or marketer. And then I also see myself as the person who's a member of these communities. I've been doing community marketing since I was 13 or 14 years old. I didn't know until recently that I've been doing it even that long. Because when I was younger, when I was like in my like seven, eight, nine years old, I didn't have a lot of friends in real life. Most of my friends were online. I grew up right when the internet really started to take off. I was born in 1994. So right around the turn of the, the millennium is when I was hopping on the internet and playing these like massively like huge MMORPGs, basically. I was playing online games. And my my grandparents were really confused. What is your kid doing in the other room? Like he's talking to his friend, like he's got an Australian accent. I'm like, yeah, his friend lives in Sydney, but never met him in person. But I remember playing these games and they were made for kids, of course, at the time. But so I started creating groups and clubs within these games because I wanted to meet more people like me. So I remember being like 10 years old, hosting virtual viewing parties where we would all be on Skype watching our favorite Disney Channel original movie at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, and you call out something that I was going to say earlier, and I'll say it now, is that I think that it epitomizes for every single person that we've had on this show that for listeners that you are your superpower, right? These people that have been able to take their experience and culminate them, curate them, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, and be true to what their experience has been, what their journey has been, and then focus in a direction that they want to go in, I think helps to build that sense of credibility. That's really important. People are many aspects of leadership are around authenticity. And I think that becomes an important element. And every single person that we've had on the show, I think, talked about their vulnerabilities and how they were able to work for them and how they were able to convert that into success. And that that would be the thing that I hope that folks are gleaning from the show is that ability to see that you are really a superpower. It's really listening to all these different people, steal the best, discard what you don't need and help to create the opportunity for you to really start to say, hey, I can be this person in this situation and pursue it. That's a pretty solid segue into a conversation that revolves around Dr. Jesse Wade Ivory's episode that we recently did. And then Helen Calvin's episode, which will close out season one, both of them from when you look at Jesse's story, Here's somebody that is in the learning and development space in academia, and I could make the argument that she should be in the startup and disruptor sequence as well, because you're talking about academia, with which has a level of inertia in terms of making change, and she was able to radically transform how programs are delivered within that sector in the middle of a pandemic in an environment that is not used to or not even open to the idea of hybrid or remote works. We have to be hyper-intentional about what do we include in this program to best ensure that we get people to the end goal that they desire. So that is one of the changes with the curriculum. In terms of design, there's a few things that this new 
environment that's brought upon us. One is frictionless experiences. And I call it the Uber effect. For those of us that are old enough, when you previously had to take a taxi, you had to first find out what is the taxi cab's telephone number. Then you had to call the taxi cab and then you had to get the dispatcher. Hopefully they were answering. Then they had to tell you to hold on a second because they have to get in touch with somebody that is driving. That might be 10 minutes. And then they have to tell you that person is dropping somebody off on this side of town and they'll be to get you in an hour. We were okay with that when it was happening because that's all we knew. Now I can push a button as the plane is landing. A stranger will come and pick me up and I can be to my hotel in 20 minutes. So that was a pretty interesting story. And then we have Helen closing out season one. So this is a former chief revenue officer and senior leadership across a number of different organizations. And you're talking about a female leader at the executive ranks in sales, which again, another unicorn. And her position in terms of the overall conversation is, hey, everybody has this mindset that you have to hide who you are based on the function, the job function you serve. And her specific lens was, what's the big deal or what's wrong with being in sales? Like, why are people shying away from it? And those were great conversations that lead into some of the great things that we're going to talk about in season two. And I would say really the keys to success of that company were maniacal obsession about the employees, talent above all, and people throw culture around pejoratively, but really understanding what makes a great place to work and how do you support people as they're doing their best work. And then real customer obsession. And that was something that certainly the revenue organization worked on very in a very focused way. How are we really understanding customer needs and customer wants? Not just ROI, but also that visceral attraction that you have to a product that makes you want it even before if you need it. I think for both of them, research shows that women are better leaders in many of the key areas, whether it's empathy, transformational leadership, authenticity. And I think with uh, both Jesse and Helen, that holds true for both of them. So for Jesse, what comes to mind is uh, she is singularly focused on moving the needle and hearing her story about how she brought in the Eventbrite tool, right, into, into that COVID experience that they were going through and to be able to do it so quickly to the extent that other, the news got wind of it and then other institutions of higher learning were trying to figure out how they were able to pull off and respond to COVID and the uh, contact tracing process was uh, was really super cool. I think it is a, a, an idea that is innovative and transformative. And I think she used those words consistently. And so she's a great example of taking a mind and bringing it and transplanting it into a different culture and making that work. And then for Helen, she also for me, she hit so many areas, right? The first thing that comes to mind is that she level sets by saying, look, before I say anything else, I was a salesperson and I was good at it. Okay. So again, it's hitting that profit thing that in order to be able to have the conversations around all these other nuances, and I think right or wrong, and maybe everyone won't agree, but DEI is one of those nuances because everybody does not see it as a key performance indicator just yet. So it is nuanced still. But she talked about what the level of success was, what she had achieved to that point. Then she brought into the conversation what her experience has been. And again, similar to Kat, being in a misogynistic society, you they, women experience all of these 
unfortunate things. And I think Helen shared some of what her experiences were, which just is cringeworthy. But she also was able to identify the way that folks from other sectors feel potentially right and how we can correct that, how we can help to get it right and make it right in sales. And she is someone who, again, is as a, that struck me as a transformational leader, being able to use all of the tools that you identify with in, in effective leadership and did that really well. So I think that you're right. We have a heavy emphasis on yeah. women leaders coming up into season two, uh, in addition to the overarching things that we're going to talk about. To tie all this together, we look at season one. We started in February and it's June now. And when this show drops, it'll it'll be July. But to look at how far we've come, we're a top 10% global podcast in basically four months of life. We've cranked out roughly 40 episodes. Season two is setting the stage for a heavy emphasis on organizational effectiveness, sales and marketing, HR effectiveness. We're still going to keep consistent with our leadership effectiveness theme, but there's a heavy emphasis or focus in women in leadership as part of what we are going to be talking about. So it sets the stage really well. And you know, I, I'm having a lot of fun talking to a lot of interesting people, so that doesn't hurt either. I think as we wind out this conversation, I think it's important to thank all of the support that we've gotten. We've been growing consistently every single month in terms of downloads and support we're across multiple channels. We started out just being an audio podcast. That was literally like the first two episodes. Now, most of our episodes are all on YouTube. We're active on TikTok. That's our second most active channel that we're on. We're going to be starting some LinkedIn live stuff soon. So that's another thing that is going to help spotlight some of these great stories. Hey, even if it goes back down to, hey, 10 people will download every week, it's still stories that uh, that need to be told. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun and a great, great sort of experience in learning all these stories. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that we won't go back down to the 10. I think we will. In week one had more than 10. So we've never had a, <laughs> an episode that did only that much. But you and I have had these conversations where it's like, oh, it's not growing as fast as I, I want it to grow. And right after I say that, I was like, why are we doing this? It's not necessarily to just drive downloads. It's to spotlight these stories and help people move their careers further faster. That is the intent. So reorienting myself, taking my own advice, understanding and capturing your why is really the key to actually advancing whatever your objective is as you go through your career navigation. Yeah, I think without question, I, it's one of the it's one of the reasons that I I coach because we've talked about this several times. Is that I hope to be the person for the folks that I mentor. So I do probably more than my fair share of mentoring. But the reason I do that is from a mentoring standpoint is I feel like I'm trying to be the person that I needed earlier in my career. And as we've talked about, there's so many things that I know now, so many things that you know now that at the point that we are in a career, we do more justice by helping others learn what we've learned, avoiding the missteps that we make. So we don't shy away from like part of why, frankly, brilliant at what we do now is that we made a lot of mistakes early on. But we learn from those mistakes and that we know how to help help others. From a coaching standpoint, I think that it's just a natural extension of what we do from that perspective. And as a driver, 
as we've said before, our goal is to help move the career of others further, faster. And so we are excited that you all have been a part of this journey as the season one comes to a close. And we hope that you tell friends, colleagues, family about Cascading Leadership, the show. You can find us on all of the platforms that Jim is talking about, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Jim is working up his nerve to really get those dance moves together for TikTok. So stay tuned, keep watching, keep listening, and we appreciate you all. Thank you for a huge first season on Cascading Leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.